welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, your shirt is very bright. You know, it's uh, it works. It works. So, um, oh, nice, um, nice. Yeah, no, I uh, I figured I'd get with the spirit. You know, changes afoot. So, that said, we've got a lot to talk about today. I've been um, reviewing all the announcements that have come out of uh, reInvent. Um, oh, yeah. And really, the biggest takeaway for me from reInvent um, is just looking at all the news and the stuff out of Vegas. Is that sphere? That thing is so distracting. Um, <laughs> And I'm I'm trying to figure out how next year for Explore we can have a V sphere on the sphere. So I don't oh. know what this is gonna entail, but I'm I'm already talking, reaching out to product marketing, be like, guys, I, I want I, I want to take over the sphere with the sphere. See, I thought you were gonna say if we could broadcast the podcast on the sphere, that would be nice too. But I do like the we'll V sphere. We'll do a V sphere focused podcast on the sphere. Yeah, we're gonna a, sphere a nested, a nested V sphere. I like it. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, John, it is reInvent this week, uh, AWS's big conference. And our good friend who focuses a lot on VMware Cloud on AWS is joining us. He's an old friend of the podcast, Mr. Glenn Sizemore. Welcome back. Hey, Pete. Hey, Nick or John. Listen to me. How are you guys doing this morning? It's been a long week. It's been an exciting week, but it's been a long week. Nice, nice. Uh, sharp dressed man, by the way. I, I see you. I see you over there. We see you. <laughs> uh, nice. So yeah, uh, yeah. AWS reInvent. I know there's been a lot of announcements, uh, and from the VMware perspective, I think there's a couple I want to talk about. You know, we could start with with obviously the the general availability of uh, of version 1.24. That's that that certainly is some big news. And of course, there's other big news that we'll we'll save till the end. But Glenn, what what's the skinny man? What's what's going on with VMware Cloud on AWS? Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while since we've talked. So um, we recently released our uh, 1.24 release um, on November 15th of, of last month. So it's been out for a couple of weeks now. Um, the, the big deal with 1.24 is this is an essential release. So all new SDDCs as of uh, two weeks ago that are deployed, they, they're, they're deploying on these new bits. Uh, every single SDDC will eventually get upgraded to this version. Um, and, and this version is, is, is based off the latest and greatest. So this contains vSphere uh, 8.0 U2, it's vCenter 8.0 U2, NSX 4.1.2, uh, and then it also contains the vSAN ESA release for us, the first time we've released that, that version uh, inside VMware Cloud on AWS. So it's, it's a really big release for us. It's been a long time in the making. We've got a couple of, of killer features kind of in there that, that we're really excited about. Um, but, but yeah, that was, it was a big milestone for us. It's, you know, what I, I love about VMC is that we're always running the newest code there and we're pushing it pretty quickly. Cause I, I had a Tam ask me last week, they're like, Hey, do we have any customers who have a thousand hosts running vSphere eight yet? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's called VMC, man. Like, and there's a lot more than a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely always been the, the the one of the big value props. It's always nice to see that you guys have always been like. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it the fact that like even hot fixes get thrown into VMware Cloud on AWS before they're even released to the perpetual, right? Um, so it it depends on what it is, but these days we're we're pretty good about uh, 
treating all customers consistently. The one thing where we do have a bit of a, an advantage over normal customers is just security advisories. Uh, we're able to start patching for those a little bit earlier. Um, typically, we've got them fully patched and mitigated by the time the public announcement goes out, uh, whereas public customers have to start. But when it comes to actually patching vSphere and software code, you know, these days, we there's a single build process. There's a single build team. Uh, and everything kind of goes through that same process. So, what, so wh whether it's a VMC customer or an on-premises customer that needs something out of vSphere or vSAN or NSX, uh, those core teams just address it in the core product, and then it, it makes it out to the endpoint on the next subsequent release. So it's it's not quite as special as it once was. There was a time where we would like build features in VMC on AWS, and then they would eventually make it on premises. Yeah, um, we've since kind of untangled that. It, it was a little more work than was really necessary. We weren't really we weren't reducing the ship speed quite as much as we thought we would be. Um, so we've kind of undone a little bit of that work and gone back to a more traditional build process. But but I, I it's it hasn't really impacted our ability to get features honestly. Um, if I need something out of the vSphere team, those guys are great. They 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 get it done. So VCF everywhere is kind of becoming a reality, it sounds like. Absolutely. Like VMware Cloud has been in in marketing, VMware Cloud has been a, a fully thought out thing for yeah. seven years now, right? Um, it's it's taken us about that long to finish building all the actual products to, to to turn it into what that vision was. But at this point in time, that's exactly what we do have, right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about a hypervisor, hyperscaler endpoint, or if it's a private on-premises data center, right? Like VMware Cloud is that foundation for your virtualization infrastructure that 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 automates and orchestrates, abstracts away, simplifies, right, the the virtualization layers so that you can focus on more valuable aspects. You can push up stack. You can worry about your apps. You can worry about the business. You don't have to think about infrastructure because the infrastructure is, is self-regulating. It's self-running for the most part. Yeah, it's like VMware Cloud on AWS. They were doing VMware Cloud Foundation, if you will, uh, before VMware Cloud Foundation existed. You know, it's it's been that whole VMware stack. Yeah, honestly, it, it absolutely has been. Um, at this point, VCF is the foundation for, for all cloud deployments uh, within VMware Cloud or, or elsewhere. Uh, it, is, it is just that ubiquitous software layer for us. And as I said, like it's the difference between a hypervisor and a private cloud environment. Right. If you just need virtualization, vSphere is the, the the best game in town. It is the the LaFerrari or whatever you want to call it, the McLaren, the P1. Like it's it's the best there is. Um, but but sometimes you don't you, you you don't need those features, right? You don't need those those sophisticated advantages. You or you just don't want to spend the time getting down into the weeds and the details, right? You just want an easy button for consumption, right? I just got a bunch of VMs. I want to make sure they're powered on. I want my workload to be successful. I don't want to have to think about this. I want a framework that helps me. I want patching to be integrated. I want lifecycle to be integrated, and and that's what VMware Cloud is, regardless of which endpoint we're discussing, right? VMC on AWS is just the AWS partnership of that of that that vision right like you could also do Azure you could do Google you could do Oracle you could do Alibaba or or obviously you could do your own private data center right you could go into your own data center deploy a VCF stack be up and running in, in a couple of weeks and then from that point like now, now you're really cooking with grease right because you've 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 got those benefits you've earned back the time which is the real 
like when, when I find myself in customer conversations and, and you're, you're stuck in the elevator and you've got 30 seconds to describe, like, what do you work on and why should I care? Well, the answer is I work on something that gives you back time. The only resource you can't purchase. Right. That's, like that's that. what it really comes down to. And, and that's what VMware Cloud does for you. It gives you back time so that you can spend that time doing something else. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, so let's let's peel back these layers. Like uh, I know there's a lot of different enhancements in VMware Cloud on AWS in this new latest release, but uh, maybe do you want to start with compute and tell us what some of the changes are there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we got a couple of things. Um, at this point in time, we're up to 26 regions worldwide. So we've got a really strong global presence when it comes to VMware Cloud on AWS, uh, 26 commercial regions to include GovCloud. Uh, the most recent, the most recent expansion of which was we added support for the Hyderabad region. Um, we 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 have a couple more that we're continuing to 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 take a look at. So we're not quite done with our global rollout yet, um, but 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 we're making great progress. Um, we also had a number of enhancements that we released to our uh, to within the actual platform itself, right? Again, based on that ESX 8.0 U2 build. Um, you know, the, the, the latest version of that STDC, uh, we've actually changed the default hardware version inside vSphere. Uh, previously, the default hardware version was 14. So when you deployed a VM, it would by default be 14. You could upgrade it if you wanted to. Um, but but we've, we've bumped that default in the 1.24 release to 19. Um, we support all the way up to hardware version 20 if you want to do things like advanced AI offload with Intel AMX. Um, or, or simplified VNUMA configurations, virtual hyperthreading, et cetera. Um, but the default is going to be V19, and, and that's just to maintain compatibility with on-premises environments. V20 is kind of a pretty significant change. It's, it's one of those things where you only need it if you really need it, so it's available, but, but we're not really pushing it down customers' throats. Um, so yeah, a, a, a number of, of uh, good enhancements uh, in, in the compute space. Uh, and then we also made some, some pretty good uh, improvements to our sizer uh, to help customers who are doing cluster transitions. One of the things that we offer inside VMware Cloud on AWS is hardware refresh as a circle service. Uh, we call it a cluster conversion service. So if you have an existing cluster, let's say with 12 i3 metal host types out there, and your subscriptions are coming to an end and you want to move to the newer i4i metal host type instead of having to go through a traditional data center migration project where you stand up a new environment and then migrate all your workload you simply submit a ticket to us and say hey i want to i want you to change out this host type i want you to replace all my i3 hosts with i4i hosts um in, in this latest release, we've actually made that self-service for customers so that they can go in through the VMC sizer and they can self-service get estimates as to what those host counts would be. So that, you know, like, again, like let's say I have 12 i3 metal hosts. Yeah. Well, those i3 metal hosts are all running vSAN, they're all running compression, they're running deduplication, right? I, and, and when I move to an i4i host type, my my I, I lose deduplication, but my compression is still there. So like my my, my ratios are going to be a little bit different. Those six hosts could 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 or sorry, those twelve uh, i3 metal hosts could potentially fit in six i4i hosts, but you know, maybe we need eight or nine um, because of computer memory reasons, something like that. So it's just it's 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 one of the more challenging things that we have to though, do. Right? 
yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it sizes based off whatever the bottleneck would have been uh, and, and provides an accurate count. Previously, we've had this flow for quite a while, but it was hidden behind a support flow. So if you wanted to know how many hosts it would take, you would have to open a ticket with SRE services, and then we would go off and run some scripts and, and get those estimates for you. But now through Sizer, it's all self-service. Um, so it's it's just super easy for customers to go in there and and generate their own estimates if, if they're interested in taking a look at new host types. Um, we also made a couple of other improvements to the sizer around external storage uh, to make it easier uh, when you're 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 trying to figure out like what a mixed environment would look like when you're using a combination of vSAN and NFS. Uh, the 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 new tools uh, take placement in consideration. They prefer vSAN uh, for for those high performance workloads whenever possible, but then we'll augment it with NFS when when the VM would be appropriate for NFS. So if it's if it's not an appropriate fit for external storage, um, then it would it would default to vSAN and vice versa. So it just makes it really easy um, from a consumption standpoint. You don't have to know a whole bunch about your environment uh, to consume one of these services. If you can get a VR ops capture or a live optics capture, you can just feed it into the cloud portal. And then, you know, it's one big button, get recommendation, and it'll go off, do all the maths for you, come back and just give you a declarative like, well, this environment would require, you know, four hosts or six hosts, whatever it would be. What's what's cool with this is I think about this compared to how I would do a similar workflow um, in my existing on-prem environment is, you know, I'd be like, okay, I've got 12 hosts, you know, and maybe I had an external array and it's like, okay, they're in different refresh cycles and I'd have to sort all this out and I'd have to figure out, okay, well, where am I going to find rack space and power to put this? Because you, you need to have the new footprint to move off the old footprint. So in a weird way, you sometimes had to have, you know, almost twice the rack space and power and cooling and your environment uh, that you needed sometimes to do these migrations if they weren't significantly compacting environments um, versus this is all somebody else's problem. Like the hosts just appear, the hosts disappear, like life's good. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful thing about, uh, yeah, that's a, a, a large difference compared to storage or, you know, virtual administrators having to do all the lifecycle management themselves. Must be nice to just click a button and be like, oh, let's do this refresh. Oh, yeah, let's just do that upgrade and uh, let me know when it's done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the power of VMware Cloud at the end of the day, right? Regardless of which endpoint we're talking about. I, I just happen to have a special soft spot for the AWS one because it's my baby. Yeah, for sure, so for sure. You you mentioned the ESA um, for no particular reason. I think that's the most important thing that we needed to talk about next. So, um, <laughs> Express storage Absolutely. architecture. What, yes. what, 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 what have we got going on here? So. Yeah, so this has been a long time coming. We've been working on uh, Express Storage Architecture support inside uh, VMware Cloud on AWS for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half now. Um, you know, uh, of course, we've been based on hyperconverged since we launched the service. vSAN is a critical portion of how we do everything inside VMware Cloud and AWS. Um, but, you know, the two-tiered architecture, cache disks, you know, there were some inefficiencies. We would, we would occasionally, um, with super high-performance workloads, we would run into performance issues trying to destage from caching. So ESA just made a lot of sense architecturally why it would be a superior approach for us. The only challenge was how are we going to actually get it implemented and maintain all of our controls and policies and keep everything else about the service the same, right? How do we change out the storage technology um, without altering any other aspect of how the service is managed or operated? 
Uh, so what we did is we baked the decision as to whether or not you're deploying an ESA cluster or an OSA cluster into the cluster provisioning workflow. And for a little while, uh, we're going to let customers choose. You, so when you, in, in order to use VCN ESA, we've got a couple of requirements. The SDDC has to be on version 1.24. It has to be on that latest version. Uh, you have to be using I4I host types. Um, and your SDDC has to have at least three hosts in it. And as long as you've got those three requirements and we've gone through an enablement process because we also have to turn on ESA, uh, it's by default, it's turned off. It's an opt-in process. But if you, wanna, if you want in, you just raise your hand and say you want in, we're going to turn it on. It's not like it's hard to get it uh, enabled on a new SDDC. So but as long as you've got those three requirements, then when you create a new cluster, uh, we ask you one additional question. We say, what kind of vSAN would you like? Would you like to use vSAN Express Storage or vSAN Original Storage? And we default to Express. Okay. So is there a scenario where customers are going with the latest, greatest VMware Cloud on AWS and still choosing the original storage architecture? Believe it or not, there is. Hmm. We have um, some significant... I have so much respect for our customers. It's 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 really hard for me to to articulate like how impressive they really are. Um, the the more I meet with them, the more I understand their challenges and what they do on a day to day basis. It really is impressive. Like these are world class talents. Like we build amazing software, but you should see what our customers do with our software. It's even better, and. Some of these guys and gals are so regulated, they are watched so closely that 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 making any kind of change is an 18-month, 24-month process. The amount of testing that they have to do, the amount of certification and validation and regulatory ho hoops that they have to jump through. Um, and, and yeah, changing out vSAN is one of those elements, right? For some of our customers, that's that's something that they're, they're having to go through an evaluation process. They're having to go through and test it out, and put it through its paces and prove to the, the uh, their, their, their oversight that, that the data protection features are there, that the reliability is there, that the, the, the performance is there. Uh, and only after all of that has been proven would they actually adopt. So, so yeah, there are some customers who are provisioning brand new STDCs with old technology, but, but they're doing it begrudgingly because they have to. Well, and it's, that's kind of amusing because frankly, ESA is a more resilient, like the rebuilds are faster, everything is, but yeah, I get it. If you're regulated by the FAA, who doesn't want planes falling out of the sky, they want flight ops on the oldest, most boring technology sometimes for a bit longer than the normal person would. So I don't know. Not everybody's a cowboy who just mashes upgrade all, I guess, like me. Um, <laughs> So you mentioned there's obviously other storage options, NFS being a big one, and I know that VMware has uh, had a long-standing uh, partnership with NetApp uh, and using the FSX for NetApp uh, inside of VMware Cloud on AWS. Has there been any change uh, with the latest release? Yeah, we had a significant improvement in the 1.24 release for customers who are using FSX for NetApp on top to attach to their, their single AZ SDDC. Uh, previously, um, we supported FSX for NetApp on tap, but in order to attach the data store to the SDDC, you had to use what we call Transit Connect, which is a VMware managed AWS transit gateway appliance. 
and uh, Transit Connect is an incredibly powerful cloud router and lets you connect various different networks and do all sorts of amazing things inside the AWS network, but it's a metered connection. You're charged two cents for every gigabit of data that is processed through it. And you don't really think about how much data is passed in storage traffic, but but it's very easy to rank up like very large data transfer bills, particularly if you have a read heavy workload, right? Storage workloads typically think of reads as free and writes as what you're paying for, right? So like you're when you're budgeting your storage system, you're, you're really thinking heavy about your write payload to make sure that you're going to be able to to accommodate that. Um, but but when you've got Transit Gateway in the deployment, you have to think about those reads equivalently as you do the writes because you're getting metered on those reads just for the data transfers. Um, and to put some figures on this, if you were to deploy a two gigabit per second FSx for NetApp on tap file system, and you were to generate, you know, put enough VMs on there that you were driving 100,000 16K IOPS, right? That would be sufficient throughput for you to saturate that two gigabit per second file system, right? You'd be driving two gigs per second. And at, at, at that rate, if you were to do that for a month, right, 730 hours, you would rack up about $80,000 in data transfer fees. So we're talking about real money and, and that's one month. Um, and and we have hundreds of customers who are using this technology right now because oh, wow. the so amount you can of get like a million dollar bill a year. You know, I, I've got some friends who sell fiber channel switches who would love to be able to, you know, charge <laughs> by the by the frame a million bucks a year. But uh, yeah, that that sounds like it's um, going to cause problems at a certain point. That that that's a bit of an extreme example. That's 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 the north yeah, bar. Yeah, but like yeah. when we have customer conversations and they ask us like, what's the bounds of what's possible? Like that's in the bounds of possible, right? It could happen if you were to actually saturate the file system at its capabilities for the entire month. That's what you're looking at. Yeah. Now, real bills, typically it's somewhere like two to five thousand dollars a month. And and it works out to be about the transit gateway fees are about 15% of the total cost of ownership of the SDDC. But nevertheless, 15% on something the size of a software defined data center is real money. So we've been investing in trying to figure out a way to connect FSX storage to the SDDC without using a transit gateway appliance. And what we've come up with is using VPC peering for external storage. Now, VPC peering is a technology in AWS that allows you to create a layer two to layer two connection between two virtual private clouds and have routing between them. Um, now, it's not a true layer three connection. You can't do transitive routing. So you can't go from VPC A to VPC B to VPC C, right? You can't cross through a VPC using peering, but you can go from A to B or from B to C. Um, so we can use VPC peering to attach the FSX data, the, the FSX file system to the software defined data center and then mount the, the, the NFS mount through that VPC peering connection. And the best thing about VPC peering is it's a super high performance, low latency connection that is absolutely free as long as you don't cross availability zone boundaries. Oh, so, wow. so this technology is going to reduce that total cost of ownership by like I said, roughly 15%, um, 
when when a customer compares, you know, what it would cost for them to run the STDC with Transit Gateway versus what it would cost to run it with with VPC peering, VPC peering is going to save them about twenty percent off that total bill. So significant savings uh, and and no change in capabilities, um, no change in in uh, what the service can do. Um, there are still use cases where you need Transit Gateway, so it's, it's not like VPC peering has completely replaced Transit Gateway. If you're using a multi-AZ FSX for NetApp ONTAP file system, you still need to use Transit Gateway. Uh, or if you're trying to access the storage from within a guest virtual machine. So if you're accessing yeah, an yeah, ISCSI yeah. LAN or an SMB share, then you need Transit Gateway. But if you're just using NFS mounts, you can do it 100% through VPC peering. Wow. Yeah, that so, makes that could be a game changer. It sounds like. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that looked at this initially, and yeah. maybe the numbers didn't match up. But now that actually makes it more possible. Well, and people just don't like uncertainty. Um, beyond just the cost optimization, it looks like there's some performance benefits of this, as well as I see there's also some other performance improvements that have happened with the NFS. It looks like uh, I saw Jumbo on the list. Uh, I know previously, yep. I don't think it was this release. We had InConnect, so able to access multiple NFS sessions. Um, I love that one just because it, it snuck out. It snuck back on-prem. That was like an NFS improvement that started in the cloud for to deal with CloudFlex and, and NetApp here, and then it came back. So, um, But yeah, so it looks like Jumbo is also supported. Yeah, that, that was the another change that we made. So um, when we originally added NFS support, we, we, we took a look at, at implementing Jumbo frames, um, but, but we honestly didn't think it was going to be necessary. Uh, so we launched with with the the default MTU of 1500, uh, and that's what we've been using for the past three releases. Now, at, at, after you know getting a look at some customer deployments, we did find some scenarios where large block payloads were getting packet per second bound um, on the NIC. So you know the storage system was capable of going faster, and the host was capable of pushing the storage but the NIC just ran out of how many packets it was allowed to transmit. And if we the were sending larger frames, you, so yeah, sense. if we were sending larger you. frames, we use fewer packets, we can get more data through it. So we, we, we went ahead and bit the bullet. Uh, we, we, we've increased the MTU on VMK0 uh, to 8,500. Now it's 8,500 instead of 9, 9K because of Transit Gateway. Transit Gateway, is it's, it's this really powerful thing, but it's also got some weird uniqueness to it. Uh, it cannot pass a frame larger than 8,500. If you try, it just drops it. It doesn't truncate uh, overlays it. Overlays often it, have their own overheads, so that makes sense. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm now trying to imagine in my head which overlay technology they're using and why it's using, you know, 500 MTU. But, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't ask who's behind the curtain or what he's doing. So, <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah. Well, Glenn, yeah, I know, you know, we're, we're running short on time. I know we could talk for like three hours on, on all the updates. And I will leave a link below to the uh, recent announcements uh, at reInvent. But I did want to save a little time for the latest uh, announcement around the yeah. EC2 instance type. Yeah, I was about to say, you can't cut me off yet. We no. haven't got to the good part. Oh, yet. yeah. I wanted to save some time for this, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this past week at reInvent... Uh, we took the covers off an announcement that we've been working on for a year. No, this one is a year and a half. It's 18 months in, in the works. Wow. Uh, we had an internal project where, you know, to, to, to take a look at our EC2 instance portfolio, right? Uh, one of the things that customers have been saying is, I love the service. I love VMware Cloud and AWS. But if you take a look at AWS EC2, 
there are hundreds of instances in here and they're all different sizes and shapes and you support two of them, <laughs> right? Like, why, why don't you support more of these? Why don't you let me build different things? And, and the answer was we were dependent upon vSAN. So we could only pick hosts that had appropriate local storage for us to be able to run vSAN effectively for us to do SDDCs because everything was based on hyperconverged. And that's where i3, i3en, uh, and, and uh, i4i come in. Now, there for a little while, we experimented with using EBS and vSAN with a technology we called Elastic vSAN, yep. but but it wasn't able to hit the cost that customers needed just because the way that EBS works, you don't get discounts if you purchase it for many years like you do with traditional EC2. Um, so we stopped, we discontinued that effort. Um, but nevertheless, like we still had these customers coming to us saying, why don't you support the rest of the EC2 portfolio? So after we added support for supplemental data stores in the 1.20 release, we went back and we, we reanalyzed and said, well, now that we support NFS, could we build an SDDC based purely off NFS with nothing else present? Could we build an SDDC without any vSAN using just NFS as the storage? And that's exactly what we did. We, we had to go build a brand new architecture, new management stack, a new way of, of instantiating the SDDC. We had to accommodate every single one of our service workflows, had to support whether it was a disaggregated cluster or hyper-converged cluster. Um, so the entire service from the ground up had to get refactored to support this new reality. But this past Tuesday, we announced support for the M7 i24XL metal instance, which is going to be the latest instance that we're adding into uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. Now, the M7i Metal uh, is a special instance. It's it's what AWS is calling a multi-metal instance. There are multiple different sizes that are available. There's the 24XL, which comes with 48 physical cores and 384 gigs of memory. Uh, and then there's the, the, the full metal instance, which includes uh, 96 physical cores and um, twice that from the memory perspective. Uh, the, now, all of these servers are based off Intel's uh, latest Xeon Sapphire Rapids processor. Uh, it, it comes with a base clock, I believe, of 2.4 gigahertz, but it boosts all the way up to 3.9 gigahertz. So it's just, it's an incredibly capable platform. Um, now, what's interesting about M7i is in addition to being a, 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 a disaggregated architecture, so there's no local storage in the instance, um, in addition to that, though, it's just a different CPU to memory composition, right? With with 48 physical cores and 384 gigs of, me of memory, you know, that's that's a lot different than the 64 cores terabyte of RAM that we offer today. So that's less than 10 so gigs uh, core. So that's that's a pretty compute yeah. heavy to RAM ratio, which certain applications will drive somewhat more. Um, yeah. Also, Sapphire Rapids, if I'm not mistaken, has some really fun offloads for machine learning inferencing and other stuff. They do, yeah. That's that's the AMX offloads, uh, the Advanced Matrix Services, I think is what it stands for. But the the we we have tested and validated that it all works inside VMware Cloud and AWS on vSphere 8.u2. Um, you know, and that I'll have to go make sure I deploy hardware version 24, right? So you have to be running v20. Uh, and you also have to be on a, a latest and greatest Linux kernel for it to all line up and work. But assuming assuming your M7i, assuming your virtual hardware version 20, then yeah, AMX works and you can do accelerator offloads from directly within the, the 
uh, guest. So it's 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 really powerful. And you're not wrong, John. The the CPU to memory ratio. Uh, this is a CPU heavy host. Now, because it's a CPU heavy host, um, we kind of really envision two use cases where we think it's going to be very successful for customers. The first is when you're dealing with those compute heavy workloads. So if you had a secondary cluster that you were putting your SQL servers in or your Oracle clusters and you were using reduced cores to control your licensing costs, then M7i is potentially a great host as long as you don't need more than 384 gigs on a single VM, right? Um, we It's also just going to be a lot more attractive for entry-level clusters. If you only have 20 VMs and you're just looking for an environment to park those 20 VMs and for them to never power off, and you only need a pair of hosts, then two i4i hosts, right, with two terabytes of so RAM, minimum, that's minimum a lot of size is two hosts here? Yeah, nice. minimums, yeah, yeah, for M7i, the minimum size will be two hosts. Um, so, so those entry scale clusters will be a lot smaller. Uh, you know, you know, 48 CPUs, 384 gigs of RAM, that's, that's, that's a reasonable entry size um, for a starter SDDC. It's also going to be a great starting point when we eventually support it for our, our, our live recovery and VCDR. I was going to say the pilot light for VCDR is yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, cause you can speed up your VC, your, your live recovery workflows so much faster by already having an SDDC substantiated. For customers who weren't already running something yeah. there, but yeah, being able to have yeah, that pilot there, light, lower entry. Yeah, there's work. So, so we made the announcement that we're, we we intend to release support. The actual release is going to come early next year. Um, so the M7i is not available today. Don't go to the console and try to deploy it. It's not there yet. Um, but but we have publicly shared our intent to release this instance early next year. Um, and and uh, have released all of the details and started having those customer conversations. Now, when we're talking about VCDR, VCDR is going to have to add support for yeah. uh, uh, the M7i instance type, and that will come after release. So even when we do release the instance, VCDR support won't be there on day zero, but but we do intend to support it. It is on our roadmap and it is work that is being done. Nice. No, I've, I've talked to those cats about that. What's exciting here is you talked about all the work that had to be done to support diskless nodes, and that's a lot of instance types. So I know you can't speak to the roadmap or promise things, but you cloud people, I swear, can get away with far more talking about futures. It looks like the path is is laid out to potentially do other node types going forward. Oh, absolutely. Like, we now have the architecture in theory, like, there's there's no reason we couldn't um, take a look at an R7 or an X2 or a G4. It's just economics, you know, fleet commitments, all the other things. Yeah, yeah I get that. Yep. So commercial. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not making any plans or announcements about additional instance types beyond M7i, but but the architecture is absolutely there. So if customers have demand for a particular instance type, then they'll let us know and we'll do the work. Spoken like a true product manager. <laughs> Nice. Everything so, is possible with enough revenue forecast. Just watch that space. Yes. So uh, yeah, lots to lots to dig in here. We'll uh, we'll leave uh, notes on the uh, show notes of the podcast. We'll leave links to. I know there's a lot of content out there. So yeah, I'm sure you've got. You know, there's there's the announcement blog. There's I, I, I understand there's some demos and uh, even a hands-on lab. Is the hands-on lab for the new version as well? I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Neil's pulled that together for us. Oh, very nice. Niels, 
Good guy. Good guy. All right, cool. Glenn, uh, thank you so much for joining us again. We, uh, we miss ha- seeing your shining face on Virtually Speaking. I'm glad to hear all this cool information. Any closing uh, thoughts before we take off? Yeah, watch that space, man. We're, we're not done. Like this service is just getting started. Like we're 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 running full speed these days, and and I'm I'm I really meant what I said at the beginning of the, of of our talk today, right? At VMware Cloud Foundation. If you like the marketing, you need to go take a look at the actual product these days because we're delivering on all cylinders and all endpoints. I like it. I like it. Well said, Glenn. Thanks for joining us, man, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, guys.